listen, but that you would participate in that prayer, asking Holy Spirit to awaken your wonder this morning. So pray with me, please. In the silence, in the stillness of this moment, ask Holy Spirit to awaken your wonder to the birth of our King. O wisdom, Lord and ruler, light of the world, root of Jesse, king of the nations, prince of peace, good shepherd, savior, rising sun, Emmanuel, come Lord Jesus. Lord, we know you cannot do anything for us if we remain sufficient in ourselves independent and prideful. Only when we get hungry and humble can new birth and growth happen. So do that with us, all of us in this room. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. So we are in Advent. If you've been around the church uh, for a while, you've heard that term. Uh, it actually uh, originates in church history, it's interesting, uh, about the 4th century, some say the 5th century, it comes from a Latin word, Adventus, which means coming, arrival. We really talk about the joyful preparation for Christmas, uh, as Anthony made a few remarks about. And when Advent began, it focused primarily on fasting and repentance. Uh, there are a couple authors, as you read about Advent, gives kind of a twin focus. Another author gives a triple focus of this season that we're in. One author says, Advent is the twin focus of both the incarnation and the second coming of Jesus. Both of these themes make Advent instructive, not only historically, but also in terms of biblical theology. We are not a people who merely look at one moment God broke into history. We await his coming again in glory when the king's reign shall be on earth as it is in heaven. Another author kind of gives a triple focus of Advent. The season of Advent is the Christian calendars anticipates the coming of Christ from three different perspectives, this author says. The physical nativity in Bethlehem, the reception of Christ in the heart of the believer, and the eschatological second coming. Uh, if you ever get a chance to travel in Bethlehem, I first went there as a college student. I encourage you to get into the world and travel and see these places, smell the smells, hear the sounds, taste the foods. and. You go to what's called the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem. It's about six miles from Jerusalem. In the late 90s, after college and seminary, did some work in Jordan and spent quite a few months there going back into forth and rented cars throughout the Pal uh, Bethlehem is, is in Palestine. And as you go to the Church of Nativity, how many of you have ever been in there? Anyone have been there? Some of you have been in there. In the, in the, all throughout the region of Palestine, Israel, the, the, the history of the church have built churches over the sites of the birth and the crucifixion and the different miracles of Jesus. And it's a great pilgrimage to participate in. And as you go into that church in Bethlehem, uh, it's, it's among a Muslim community. It's so fascinating. As you, see, you walk in there and you see a cave that's said to be where Jesus was born. And there, actually, honestly, and then, and then you see the black door there, for those of you who love church history, is the, is the door that Jerome translated the Vulgate, about the same time Advent started, by the way, in about 4th century, was the Latin translation of the Bible. 
It was the only translation of scripture for about a thousand years and two guys like Wycliffe and Tyndale came around and translated the English versions of the Bible. But uh, Jerome did that translation in that site, right where Jesus was born in this uh, place in Bethlehem. Uh, if you ever have a chance to, to go there, go there. But the point is this, Jesus has come. Jesus is coming and Jesus will come again. If you don't remember anything about the message or what I say about our text, remember that. Jesus has come, Jesus is coming, and Jesus will come again. Uh, before we read the text, it'll be on your screen. Uh, tonight's, or this morning's message, not tonight. This morning's message is going to be a little brief and condensed of just a few things I want to have a, a takeaways from our text. But uh, the title of the talk is that. Jesus has come, Jesus is coming, and Jesus will come again. Um, a few words I want to say to you personally, and this is this, before we read this text, the familiarity of this story that maybe of us we've heard of is this. This is that moment I wish I could be on your, at your kitchen table, and I could sit across from you and, and, and hear your story, and I could share my story. That's not the, con the, the appropriate time to do that this morning, but because of that, it's important to know, because we all come into this room this morning uh, with, with, with hurts. Uh, with, with hang-ups, with habits. Uh, many of us have a lot of worry. We have a lot of wounds of life. We have a lot of disappointment. We have a lot of relational bruises, emotional brokenness, mental burdens. And I wish I could sit over a cup of coffee with you. I was just interesting when I think about coffee, I get kind of fixated on some things. And you know the most fascinating three cups of coffee in 2021 are Tanzania, Peaberry, Sumatra, Madhuling, or Ethiopian Harar coffee. That's what would be the coffee of choice. And I could hear your story of how your struggle, how your, the bruises and the brokenness of your life uh, are, 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 are real. Because we all have those. Um, we need the presence, we need the peace, we need the power of Jesus Christ in our life. We need the power and the peace and the presence of Jesus in community as a church. We need the power and the peace of presence of Jesus as we participate in the mission of God in our community, in, in, in things like the urban farm that we've heard about and other works of, of the kingdom in the city and into the nations. And we must, uh, we, must, we must hunger for that. We must desire that to realize that what we're reading this morning is not just a history lesson. It's not just a, a, a thing, a fact of history, but it's, but it's the reality that makes sense of life, gives purpose, and it gives identity. Um, Martin Luther talked about uh, the exchange life. He wrote this book, of, uh, this writings about the exchange life, that we have this exchange with Jesus. We give him our life, and he gives us his life. He lives in our physical bodies, as, as Anthony reminds us on a weekly basis. And, and, and you know what happens when we have those seasons of life, when we don't live in the exchange life? Paul said it in Galatians very beautifully when he said that I'm crucified with Christ, right? Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. In the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and gives his life for me. When we don't live that exchange life, it leads to an exhausted life. It leads to exhaustion. And I'm not just talking about physical exhaustion. I'm talking about spiritual exhaustion, emotional and mental and, and the whole piece. So as we move into the text here, I want to say a few things about Matthew. Matthew chapter 1. Uh, Matthew begins in a graveyard. And although we're not going to spend time in the graveyard, I do want to highlight a few things that are very important for us. 
We, we, you, you're probably aware of this, but Matthew is writing to who? The Jewish people. That's very important. He's writing to the Jewish people. He, he, he was, uh, he's, Matthew's telling us that Jesus is Messiah, that the Jewish people had been hoped for, longing for. Uh, they, 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 uh, G- Matthew's writing to show that Jesus is the descendant of David, right? The very last uh, genealogy of, of, of Matthew gives is actually the life of Joseph, who we're going to talk about here this morning. Matthew highlights Joseph, the life of Joseph. One of those things that's very, that's very intriguing and was one of my favorite sermons to do and a Bible studies to lead, and even if you're in a small group, I, I encourage you to do this if you're looking for a study to do. But there's women that are mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus that are so insightful that Matthew lists. First of all, to list women in the genealogy was very atypical, not, not normal in those days. But he lists names like Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, the mother of Solomon, the wife of Uriah, which is Bathsheba, right? And if you remember these stories, I'm not going to go into telling these stories, but if you look at a Tamar, who, who is a, 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 not, a, not a Jew, who is Rahab, who is a, a Moabite, a, a, t- a prostitute from Jericho, uh, excuse me, Ruth was the Moabite, uh, Bathsheba, the scandal with David. You, you see these stories in the genealogy that, that remind us of this, that Messiah is for all nations, for all Gentiles, not just the Jewish people. And the ethnicity is not a barrier to belong to the family of God. Uh, all nations, all peoples belong to the family of God. And perhaps one of the most important lessons of these stories of scandal, of shame, and abuse is that, is that despite the messiness and the sin of the lies of these characters, God's grace is greater. His mercy is new every morning. And, and these themes here of these stories are important to, to focus on and think about and remember. So as we read the text this morning, Matthew begins in the, in the uh, graveyard, uh, this, this list of the genealogies that are fascinating, and then we get to uh, the story here that I'll read for you. So Matthew 1.18 Uh, It says this, this is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. The mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly, but after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, which is Isaiah. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son after he gave him the name Jesus. From this passage this morning, I just want to leave with you, give you two things. Uh, The first is this, is the two takeaways from Joseph that we can learn from. And the second thing is the the three names that Matthew gives us of the names of Jesus, of the names of our Lord. Um, it's important that you remember this story, as you read this story, that you're not reading it from a North American 2021 lens. 
in the context of marriage and engagement and that sort of thing. Uh, the two lessons from Joseph is this. Uh, jo and this is kind of two sides of the same coin. Uh, Joseph uh, has allowed his pain of the situation to be transformed. The text says that he was a righteous man. He observed the law. And, and, and he, he, he allowed his pain at that moment. Think about that. He found out that the, the, the woman that uh, he, he was engaged to, essence, uh, was pregnant. So there's scandal. And according to uh, Old Testament law, she would actually be stoned. She would actually be killed. Some commentators actually say, well, because of Roman occupation, that that would not be allowed. But no one really knows. But he had this concern in, of her of, that she would be harmed. And so the ways that he, what he did is, this is a second lesson from Joseph, he extends grace to Mary to divorce her quietly. So in the, in the context of this, uh, uh, of this engagement that we understand Joseph and Mary were in, 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 in the cu culture and the custom of then, it wasn't like we have engagement now, where people are engaged and maybe they, the, break, the, the engagement is, is broken off. But in the time of that engagement, this period, it lasted for about a year. And the marriage wasn't consummated, uh, wasn't official until they were consummated, but, they, but there still had to be a legal divorce, which basically was a papers, a document of divorce in front of two witnesses. And so this is what Joseph had in his mind to do before, before the angel of the Lord appeared to him and obviously uh, instructed him that the Holy Spirit uh, was the one conceiving Mary. Uh, the point is this about Joseph. You think about the pain. You think about his walking, his relationship with the God. This is the lesson that we can learn, is that he allowed uh, God, he allowed community. We don't know exactly, but he, he, he was able to have his pain transformed and extend grace to Mary. Uh, the Franciscan author, Richard Rohr, he says something really powerful. He says that if we don't allow the pain in our life to be transformed, we will transmit it. Have you ever known of the reality that hurt people hurt people? I've met people that are 75, 80 years old, and they're still hurt about things that happened when they were 10 or 15 or 20 as a young adult. And this is the lesson we can learn from, uh, from Joseph, is that we can, by God's grace, through the help of other people, through the help of community as a church, through counsel, we can have the pain in our life, the loss, the disappointment, whatever happens to be transformed, that we can be healed and whole and extend grace to other people. Next, I want to say just a, a few words on the names that Matthew gives us for our Lord. Uh, there are three names that Matthew gives us, uh, Jesus, Emmanuel, and Christ. All of us in this room, we were born, and our most likely, our father and mother made a decision to name you here in this room. Those of us that are parents, you know when your child is born, you have a decision to name your child. And usually that name is something that is of a family uh, relationship, maybe a friend. Uh, maybe we like the sound of the name. Maybe it's uh, the meaning of the name. Um, most of you are aware, uh, my son is an Arabic name, uh, meaning to increase. My daughter's name is a, a Hindi Nepali name, which means compassion. So in the naming of uh, my two children, it was this idea that they would have a life of increasing in compassion. Um, so however you went about that process, naming your children. But the Hebrews, 
at this time, they chose a name for a, a, the name that had meaning in God. It was a, it was a choice to acknowledge uh, the gift of God, his gift, and to express hope and destiny in him. So we, 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 we read from this text that the angel of the Lord came and, and, and gave, uh, instructed uh, Joseph to give the name Jesus. The Hebrew name Yeshua, meaning to deliver, to rescue. The Lord is salvation. The Lord saves all these meanings here. In verse 21, uh, the, the, the most poignant part of that, in, in my opinion, is this. It says that the, the angel said, give him the name of Jesus, and he will save his people from their sin. He will save uh, his people from their sin. What does it mean that Jesus saves us? What does it mean... How do we understand that Jesus saves us? You remember as a little boy, you watch the football games. I don't know if they do this anymore, but you know, this, the, remember they put the poster board and you see this, Jesus saves. And I remember as a boy thinking that and like not really, you know, gathering that or understanding that completely. But the idea is that we all in here have this dilemma. We have this situation and I want to, particularly if you're young, I want you to listen to me. When I, was, uh, when I was about a teenager, I, I, I told this story for the first time, I remember, in Africa. And I've had a chance to tell this story all over the world about what sin is. And just think about, this is what sin is. Sin is this. Sin is like you and I trying to have a contest. And we're going to have a, uh, we each have a baseball, okay? And uh, there's, there's three of us up here, standing up here, we're having a baseball. And we're going to try to throw that baseball to the YMCA that's, you know... Uh, a good, uh, Allison, you probably would know, is that a good quarter of a mile or a couple hundred feet? I don't know. Uh, it's, a, it's a good ways, right? Okay, now let's say, let's say we had someone really uh, phenomenal, uh, you know, uh, like someone with a great arm like Carter over here, you know, the baseball guy, and he was one of these guys, but the, 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 someone threw it and threw that ball and it, and it, and it went just 100 yards short of the, uh, of the YMCA. The next person through it, but it, it just went 50 yards. The point is this, is that it's very unrealistic to be able to throw the ball to, to that distance and to reach that. And that's the idea of sin, is that no matter what we know or what we can do that are good things or the rules that we obey or don't obey, we cannot get to God. We cannot get to God or reach God on our own effort. And so we need a savior. We need someone to uh, allow us to have a relationship with God. There's lots of metaphors in this idea, and this is not the, we're camping out a lot in this message, but this is, the, the Matthew gives us this insight. That the reason that the, the Jesus came was to save his people from their sins. So I want you to think of these images here that come from scripture, of these metaphors of what this means. You know, in theological circles, you hear these things of like substitutionary atonement, penal substitution, all these kind of complex ideas that theologians like to debate about. But it's really hard to get our mind around what the beauty is, the, the simplicity of Jesus saving us from our sin. And here is some of the metaphors I want you to think of. Think of a battlefield. What comes to your mind? Just think of a battlefield. Well, the metaphor is this. Christ defeats the powers of evil. Okay, think of a mar the marketplace. 
Think of marketplace. Christ paid the ransom to bring us out of debt. Think of exile. Think of people being in exile, being where they don't belong. They're away from their home. Christ brings us home when we have been banished. Think of the temple, image of the temple. Christ's sacrifice purifies us and allows us to draw near to God, making us clean. Think of the court or the law. What this means of Christ saving us from sin is this. Christ stands before the judge, takes our punishment we deserve, making us righteous and removing guilt. These images here of what it means that Jesus saves us. The second name that Matthew gives us is Emmanuel, God with us. To fulfill what Isaiah had predicted many centuries before, that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. Uh, God with us. John echoes this idea. He says, the word became flesh, made his dwelling among us. Uh, the dwelling there is the idea of tabernacle. He, he tabernacled among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and the only son. Um, the third name that uh, Matthew gives us is Christ. Christ is not his last name. Uh, but Christ is his title. Uh, it's meaning Messiah. Matthew is sure to give Jesus his title to his Jewish audience, to let the Jewish audience know and the, the world know that, that, he, that Jesus is the fulfillment of Jewish hope and prophecy. He is judge, he is savior, and he is king. A few months ago, um, actually, before, more than a few months ago before the pandemic, Joanne and I went to a concert at the Vogue. And I don't even remember who was the highlighting act, but the, um, the guy who opened up for them was a guy named Parker Millsap. He's like a guy in his early 20s, and uh, he's become one of my preferred playlists on Pandora. Uh, some compare him to a, like a young Elvis Presley. Uh, he's like an Americana blues rock uh, songwriter from Oklahoma. And we were coming back from uh, walking the dogs, Dave and I, uh, at Eagle Creek yesterday, and his song came on, and Zade made a comment, and he said, oh, who is this? And I said, oh, I told him the story of what happened. I said, oh, you know what? I was introduced to him in person. Uh, we, 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 we got to see him live in person. And there was a great conversation of, you know, when, whenever you experience a, a musician in person, when you have this personal experience, uh, it makes it more uh, real. It makes it more alive. It makes it more authentic, doesn't it? This is what my son was telling me. I was saying, yeah, so we started talking about uh, some of his experiences in college of doing that and some musical artists and that sort of thing. And the, the point of this was this, that the question, the conversation uh, transitioned into uh, when you have this experience with Jesus, and it's not just a, a, a something you read out of a book or the stories that are told before you, that it becomes real, it becomes authentic. So this morning as we do that through communion, um, there's many ways to do that. I want to ask you to get your, uh, your, your, your elements out. Because our goal here this morning in gathering is not, uh, you know, it's not a concert. Uh, we don't come here like a classroom. It's not a classroom of getting head knowledge. Uh, it's not like a country club, like kind of the churches I grew up with, where you put on your best. And, um, but but our, our purpose here this morning is to uh, worship Jesus, to remember, to reflect, to repent. 
of, of, of the things in our life, maybe, and to have that experience, to have that encounter with, with, uh, with this living God, this person who was born, that we've talked about, the, who is the image of the invisible God. All things were made by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So we do this week after week, and most of you are aware that we do that. And I want you to reflect for a minute on this. Reflect a little bit as we do this meal, because I, I think this meal that we are participate and engage in is the most, uh, most participated, most famous meal in all of history, if you think about it. And, it. and it happened in the most famous room in all of history. Because here in local and global places, people are, are participating in this meal. As you remember the stories that Jesus sent his disciples into town, and he, said, and, and he, he instructed them, he said, look for a guy with water on his head who was carrying a water jug, which is kind of odd because mostly the women carry water on their head in the cultures of the world, particularly back in those times. So who was this guy? I don't know. But they found the guy, they led him to a room, and they prepared this meal. And this meal, I believe, was instituted, originated by Jesus. Uh, and, and what happens is, as we do this meal, it's, it's giving experience to what words cannot put in our mouths. We do this as a society, do we not? We go to the ball game, we stand up, and we, put our, we, 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 we don't say things, but we put our hand over our heart when the flag comes up. We, we maybe give a, someone gives a performance in the, on the, and we give a standing ovation. We, we do acts as a society where words are not enough to maybe communicate what we are feeling. As we do this meal week after week, we're doing that. We're, we're doing an experience together, encountering Christ, asking this, the, the, the babe who was born, who lived, who died, and he rose from the dead, that, that he would be with us, be present with us as we are here, as we leave here, and as we go through the week. So as you take that element, you want to peel back that top layer of the cracker and then open it up for the drink. When Jesus was in that room, what he did is he said, he got the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. When you eat this, do this in remembrance of me. And he took the cup and he says, when you drink this cup, is a sign of the new covenant. This is my blood shed for you for forgiveness of sins. When you drink this, do this in remembrance of me.